Welcome to See the World Differently. Come explore and discover the world around you. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to this latest episode of See the World Differently with Oceanscape Yachts. I'm your host, Rebecca Taylor, and today I was joined by Mark Evely. He's a travel writer and photographer who's covered stories all around the world. You've probably seen his work in the likes of CNN or BBC, Nat Geo. It was a real treat to be able to spend a bit of time with him on the show today and talk a little bit about his experiences, um, predominantly in Indonesia and Africa, but he's got a lot of experience in all reaches of the globe, including Latin America as well. Um, and today we talked a little bit about his latest book. He's also an author. He's written a few different um, travel books in the past, and his latest one is Kopi Dulu, Caffeine Fuel Travels Through Indonesia. And it's a bit of an amalgamation of his you know, 25 plus years exploring this area, um, tons of remote islands and different cultures and people he's been able to meet along the way. So we're really excited to chat with him a bit about it today. Obviously, it's a region we love to talk about, and it's, you know, a big yachting destination and only continues to grow. So really thank you to Mark for his time and for sharing a little bit about his favorite parts of this world and uh, some other destinations you can add to your bucket list. So if you don't already follow us on um, Instagram or any of our other social media channels, please do. And if you don't already follow the podcast, it's available in Google Podcasts and iTunes. Just click um, follow along for free, subscribe, and you'll be the first to know about all of the latest podcasts. So without further ado, here is Mark. Enjoy. Okay, good morning. Today I'm here with Mark Evely. He's a travel writer and photojournalist. You'll have seen his work on a ton of different outlets, CNN, BBC. I, I could list all the top places people get their news and, and travel info from. So Mark, let us know how you got to be um, with us on this call today in South Africa and how you came into this career that you've created for yourself for the better half of two or three decades almost. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you for inviting me along. Um, so, well, yeah, I happen to be in South Africa at the moment. My, my wife's from here, but I spend a lot of time um, traveling on assignments. I've been working, as you said, for as a travel writer and photographer for about 25 years. Um, all over the, all over lots of Africa, actually, Latin America and Southeast Asia. Um, and kind of got, I suppose, um, Indonesia has been a big link through my travels uh, in all of that time. I actually led an assignment in, across Borneo in uh, 1996, and that opened the way for my first book, basically, and that started getting me into magazines. And I'm now, for about six months of each year, I'm based in, uh, in Indonesia and working on a lot of stories from around there. But I, I still have those, that itchy feet problem, so I hit the road in different areas from time to time. <laughs> I imagine COVID was pretty tough for you then, sitting in one spot and not being able to cure those itchy feet. <laughs> well, it was. Um, yes, it, I mean, it's a terrible time for so many people. Mm. Um, awful time to be a travel writer, obviously. Yeah. Basically, from one day to the next was the end. My biggest clients for the last few years, I mean, I worked for CNN, BBC, uh, Nat Geo, um, but my biggest paying clients probably for the last few years have been in-flight magazines, and obviously they folded no pun intended pretty much overnight yeah and only kind of just getting back to to work again so yeah i was um very negative in that way on the other hand um you know rather than sit around and twiddle my thumbs for well we nobody knew how long it was going to be we were hoping it was going to be over a bit quicker than it is yeah so anyway i got some um, into writing books and i've 
which I'd always enjoyed anyway. And um, it, it was an opportunity to get some, some book projects going. So yeah, I guess um, for a long time, I didn't actually get paid for any work, but it didn't actually slow down. I was working as much as ever. <laughs> yeah. And so a passion project. Yeah. Like, so you've just published another book. It's called Kopi Dulu. You, I've spoken to you about it before, but can you share a little bit about the title too? Um, I love because it tells a lot about the region before you even kind of crack open the book and, and your inspiration. I mean, you spent a lot of time there, like you said, you know, over 25 years, probably a big chunk of your life within some of the farthest corners and reaches of Indonesia. So what, like, was the inspiration always there or what, with this extra time, did you think, you know what, I want to compile everything into a book for people so they have it all in one place? Um, I think the, the the plan had been there for a long time that I would have loved to do a book like this. And um, I was kind of end to end on the, from one assignment to the next for a lot of the time. Um, so this gave me the opportunity. Um, so to clue you in the, yeah, to, to give you an explanation for the name, for the title, it's um, Kopi Dulu actually means coffee first in Indonesian. And it, it was a kind of a default, um, you know, work in progress title from the beginning, but it's, I, the more I traveled through Indonesia, the more that it struck me as, as kind of the perfect title, because it literally means an Indonesian coffee first. And I, for me, it came to, to symbolize the mood of hospitality that you find in villages all over Indonesia, almost uh, anywhere you arrive. It, it could be, you know, the, a town or a city or even the humblest little hunter's camp in Borneo. The first thing people will often say is, ah, coffee doula, let's sit down and have a coffee, have a chat. It's all about Indonesian uh, hospitality. So that was what the name came from. And the book is, um, it's the, the story of my travels through Indonesia, um, which Indonesia is like, it's so mind-bogglingly huge um, that I still struggle to get my head around it. It's about 5,000 miles, 5,000 kilometers from east to west. But my journey took in about 15,000 kilometers, zigzagging a lot through the islands. Um, that's, just, that's just on road, rail, walking, and a lot of time, obviously, by boat. <clears throat> um, such a huge area. Yeah. And do you, <clears throat> is this like a life goal of yours? Do you have a number in your head of how much you'd like to cover of Indonesia? Or is it kind of... I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing as long as I can do it and enjoy doing it. Um, or is it one of those things, you know, like some people have a list, like I'd like to tick off a hundred countries or something. And I can imagine you having this kind of love affair with this region, wanting to see as much as you possibly can, but you're right. I don't, it'll never happen in a lifetime. Will it like to see it all? No, it's, it's so incredibly big. I mean, the book's already done and finished. And I think I, on a rough count, I, included about 50 islands it's a kind of flowing narrative of, of my travels through the through the uh, country so it's not uh, like a guidebook that, where you would look up right. one island after another but um there are about 50 islands in there but when you consider that nobody really knows how many islands there are in indonesia right the official count at the moment is said to be 13,466 but some people will say it's up to 17,500 so the numbers are astronomical yeah. and it seems to be more or less widely agreed that there are about 12,000 uninhabited islands in Indonesia. Wow. So like for anybody traveling by boats, it's just, you know, there's like a whole world. I could set out and do the whole trip again and see, you know, entirely different things. I could travel for the rest of my life there, I think, and never come across the same thing twice. Yeah. That's uh, such so a, interesting. Such a huge area. Yeah. Mm. And you, 
obviously, like you mentioned, you've traveled by boat a lot. You've actually also spent a lot of time with, you know, like shipbuilders in the area because the Phoenicia is a very um, stereotypical yacht there. There's a lot of history behind it. Do you have, and I know we spoke about one of your experiences before, like a really memorable moment that you can really only reach by by yacht is there something that stands out to you and it doesn't have to be you know a big glamorous super yacht obviously people use boats to get around there for generations and eons so um can you share any of your like most memorable water-based experiences I guess I would say yeah there are so many how, how much time do you <laughs> take as much time uh, as you need we like living through you <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I traveled around Indonesia a lot by boat. I mean, it's, you know, it's the world's biggest island, uh, biggest island nation. So there was a lot of, sometimes on fishing skiffs, sometimes in cargo boats on rivers, um, <laughs> sometimes on luxury panisis, in all different sorts of conditions, really. Um, and the whole, let's say, the whole eastern side of the, of the islands, you have a patch of bigger islands in the middle, Sulawesi, Borneo, uh, Flores, Sumba, and then further over, it's just a tangle of these amazing islands, the Maluku Islands and the Spice Islands. Um, and through there, yeah, there were so many unforgettable experiences. There. There's so many places you can stop there. And, uh, you know, a lot of those little islands will never have seen an outsider footprint. So many of them are totally uninhabited. There's one little island that sticks, that sticks in my mind kind of uh, as iconic of... Um, just how wild you can get out there. And it's, in a way, it's not the most exciting because I love the communities that you find uh, on all of those islands and they're always very hospitable and we'll show you around. But there's one little patch that sticks in my mind, it's called Pulau Kumba. Um, and it's just, I was gonna say just off the top of Flores, but it's about 50 kilometers off the top of Flores out in the ocean, which I think is the bottom of the Banda Sea. And this particular little patch, which is about three kilometers across, is probably, it must rank as what, possibly the most remote island in Indonesia. For 50 kilometers in any direction, there's not even a single standing rock. Wow. Um, and this just, it's just a perfect cone that rises straight out of the sea with a, with a picturesque plume of smoke going from the top. The, the uh, lava will often erupt there and actually flow down the flank of the volcano into the sea. You're so remote that there's no fishing villages, nobody lives there or anything. So it's that's kind of, kind of one of those unforgettable spots. Yeah. Um, and we were sailing through there and didn't actually get a chance to land. Somebody will have explored it at some point. I'm a hundred percent sure. But um, you know, it would be it's just that one of those places that sticks in my mind that wow, I'd love to get back there and see what's actually on that island. Yeah. You almost feel like a taken the time to know it. Yeah, and you must yeah. feel like one of the first explorers too. You know, you, nothing is around you, and then all of a sudden, seeing this rise up out of the sea, and then nothing else is around you. It must be very surreal. And even more so, I think, on the Penises. I mean, you gotta, you just gotta love the the um, the romantic image of the those boats. You know, these beautiful tall ships like the Sulawesi schooners to be sailing past these volcanoes under a full head of sail on those beautiful boats. Yeah. It's hard, hard to believe you're, uh, you know, not 200 years ago in the time of Alfred Russell Wallace or, or back in that era. Yes. It really brings um, the feeling of expl exploration alive. Eh? Yeah, it does. It kind of makes you wonder if that's what created what, you know, like was this the boat to explore the region because of that? Or like did the region dictate the boat? suits it the best you know mm. like you're not going to see a lot of 
the big super yachts you get in Monaco or something. I know as the world gets smaller and smaller, you know, some people are trying to get over there, but um, I think it's something so unique about Indonesia that that's kind of the way mm. everyone still gets around. And they, and like you have done and interviewed these people that have done it for generations, right? They don't have any plans to stop. Yeah. And if anything, it's probably only gotten more popular. I think so. Um, you know, the, the story and the traditions, I was lucky, I was fortunate to have a, a magazine assignment a while back that gave, gave me a chance to get to southern Sulawesi where these, where the Panisi are mostly made. There are a few spots, but mostly that, that's the center for the production of the, of the Panisis. And um, I'm sure you guys know the, the tradition that it used to be the Bugis sailors, uh, traders, let's say, but uh, a lot of pirates as well. Were, they would chase the monsoons across um, that part of, of Indonesia as far as Papua and then back again, basically raiding on the way. Um, and the, the old story is that it was the Bugis who gave the name Boogeyman to, um, you know, to our childhood nightmares. And stuff. Right. Um, but the tradition is alive and well, and it's incredible that um, when, you know, I spoke to Captain Haji, Haji Tandri, there was a famous book um, called Ring of Fire by the Blair Brothers in the 70s. Actually, they made a movie that was, that was um, or a documentary series that was financed by Ringo Starr, of all people. Oh, wow. Okay. And Captain Haji Tandri was pretty much the last of the old skippers who sailed under, who, who traveled totally under sail before machine, before engine finishes oh, wow. really became a thing. Okay. And, and he's still, he's still, go, he's an old guy now, but he's uh, full of the stories of those days. Incredible. And then I, I, I got to meet Haji Wahab, there, who's one of several very well-known boat builders. Um, and these guys, these guys basically can draw, can draw designs in the, in the sand for like a 40 meter panisi and build it like that, you know, they never need to see a piece of paper. They don't need, it's all kind of instinctive. Yeah. And in the old days, apparently they used to say that every boat would have to take nine months to, to be made. Your super, super yacht finishes that are made these days take a lot longer than that. Yeah. But they say, you know, a boat is human. It must take nine months. If it's a small boat, you'll only have three or four guys working on it, but it'll still take nine months. Nine, oh, if it's wow. a big boat, it might be 50 or 70. It's, there's so many rich traditions. And then obviously the, the sacrifices and the offerings and, the, the, you know, the, the, the petitions to the spirits to make sure that everything goes well with the boat. There's so much involved. Oh, wow. That's beautiful um, that it's still being woven through everything. And it's not just, you know, like the high-end boutique yacht designers, you know, it's very different going in and, and getting yeah. a boat designed versus, you know, drawing it in the sand and, taking these things passed yeah. down by generation. It's, it's beautiful to see it still alive and well. Well, I think most people who are building liverboards and that and cruising panisis in that area, they're, they're sailing in that area because they love the traditions, you know, so they don't turn their nose up at, uh, I mean, if nothing else, they're, um, they're beautiful stories to be able to tell your clients and your, your passengers when you're, when you're moving. Yes. Um, and people ought to be re um, respecting and preserving those beliefs. So I think those beliefs are probably as strong as they ever were. Yeah. And you, I mean, you mentioned some of the places you spend a lot of time, Indonesia, South America, you know, Africa, places full of tradition and lots of different cultures and, you know, remote places that maybe haven't seen, you know, foreigners before. How, how do you make sure, I know a lot of your comes from like respecting where you are and the traditions of people as well, but 
I find, especially post-pandemic, so many people want a, a richer travel experience. You know, they're not just happy going to a resort anymore or, you know, on a cruise ship for whatever reason. So how, like, what advice would you give to these people that are looking to enrich and enhance their their long-awaited travel, you know, to get a little bit more up close and personal or really take in the the natural and local cultures versus what's been sort of artificially placed there by resort owners and everything else. Mm. Do you have any tips of how people can embrace life off the beaten path like like you have done? Yeah, I think um I think uh, you know probably the biggest thing the biggest thing probably is just slowing down. We shouldn't be traveling as frantically perhaps as we did before. That's very hypocritical coming from me, I think, because the year before the pandemic started, I had 54 flights oh my gosh. in that year <laughs> on assignments. Right. It's kind of unsustainable, exhausting, and and very unenvironmentally friendly. Um, so one thing that I picked up on through that period was that I just wanted to slow down more. And and it's kind of that was kind of unfortunate because I've always enjoyed traveling slower. I love covering ground, um, but I like to be able to feel that I've really got to know a small area as opposed to six countries in seven days kind of thing. You know? Yes. Slow yeah. down and travel travel a lot slower. And then obviously, I think, in, no matter what kind of holiday people are going for, whether it's a cruise or a um, or a resort <laughs> or anything like that, I think. These days, we all ought to be placing, uh, putting a sense of importance on the fact that the local communities ought to be respected, should be supported through this, and the local resources. It's an easy question to ask um, every tour operator. Yeah. And if, if nothing else, even if they don't all live up to it, or even if it's just a marketing band, uh, you know, they're jumping on a marketing bandwagon, well, it's something. Yeah. At least we, we will be getting them to think about it. So, um, yeah, I was quite happy to... To since since that period, try to travel slower, more locally, and um, yeah, spend more time getting to know an area more intently, if possible. Yeah. Rather than kind of zapping through too fast. Did you think you were really going to get what you wish for when you finished those fifty-four flights and thought, "Man, I just wish I could have a bit of a break from flying." <laughs> and then you had a two-year break from flying once the pandemic hit, or. <laughs> Yeah, right. be careful what you wish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were vibrating on a very high yeah. frequency at that moment. Um, but yeah. you know, I always enjoyed it. And I, I, personally, I didn't feel tired of it, and I've always enjoyed the traveling. But uh, yeah, I would rather it was it, that was the same situation. I would rather have flown into each of those places and worked hard on researching four or five stories rather than get one there and then be on another plane and off, off to get another one, you know? Yes, Come yeah. back to the same thing. Yeah. Uh, really and you can... Feet on the ground and get to know somewhere. Yes, true. And at least you know if you were traveling a lot, once you do put boots on the ground, you can slow down once you're there. You know, it's always the flurry of rush flying to and from places yeah. and connecting flights and everything else, I, but in the moment. Exactly. Maybe I kind of overreacted to that because once the pandemic started, I began to dream about doing a long distance walk. Oh, okay. I, I think that was probably a total reaction. And, <laughs> you know, things were complicated and it's like, wow, you're trying to figure out all that, what was happening in the world. And we were trapped in Bali for a lot of the time, but family was in England. My daughter was in Spain. Okay. My wife's family were here in South Africa. We couldn't get to see any of them. And you're trying to figure out how bad things were everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was just a nice thought to think, okay, I just don't want to focus on anything but walking 
sleeping and eating, you know, get back yes. to a real, real nomadic life. So I guess I kind of um, maybe went overboard on that a little bit because I've just finished, what, about a month ago, I walked uh, 1,225 kilometers across Spain. Wow. So now I've done that okay. and I want to go back to flying again. <laughs> so are we going to see that in a book? Like, are you, I was going to ask when the walk is happening, but I guess you've already done a fair bit of it. Did, yeah, did you cover that for anything or were you just hit the road? And That's for a book as well. I'm yeah. working on the okay. book at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know who's, uh, yeah, I'm working on that manuscript at the moment. Copy Dulu is published by Penguin, which was nice. Yes. And, um, Mm, well, if the bosses of Penguin are listening in here, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, <laughs> let's put this to the test. Um, that's fantastic, though. So, And I think you're so right, because at the time, you almost wanted to strip away all the, there was too many questions and too many uncertainties. So you yeah. kind of just want to go back to basics and, yeah, lots exactly. of time outdoors in nature, walking. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like you did it. I think that was what it, what it was, get back to basics. I was just walk, walk with a hammock, string my hammock up when I needed to sleep and find some food when I could, you know? Wow. So let's get Fantastic. really back to back to basics. Yeah, well, I look forward to reading that book once Penguin picks it up. So <laughs> <laughs> right after I read Copy Dulu, it's been, I need to order it. It's been in my basket since we spoke last time, but um I will definitely put a link in for everyone looking to purchase it. Um, it just came out end of September, right? Was that the published date? Um, I'm uh, testing end you now. Of, end of August, actually. <laughs> end of August. But okay. yeah, in, in the, yeah, in the US, I think it's a little bit later, but yes. um, round about now, I, I guess. And in Canada, now. we get everything even later, so <laughs> it could be that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I was well, looking at know, my dates. <laughs> Yeah, don't worry. Indonesia will still be there. No matter how okay. long it takes to get there, Indonesia will still be around. It's good to know that we're not the only ones then, yeah. I kind of wanted to, yeah. I mean, I've always loved the country and been. the more and more I've traveled there, the more astounded I've been of just how much there is. Yeah. And uh, it's been described as the world's most invisible country because it's the fourth biggest country in the world by population. Do you realize that? It's, it's crazy. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, but people tend to just so, go to Bali, don't they? Is that, is that part of it? Exactly. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bali and then yeah. Java, Sumatra so, have um, a little bit of tourism, but so much of it, very few people, fourth biggest country in the world by population yet four people, very few people could find it on a map. I don't think. Oh, wow. So I really wanted to it's write tough. a book, you know, that would um, give people a real idea of just how, how much incredible, diversity there is yeah cultural yeah. and wildlife yeah. and nice too so not to be that. a guidebook like you said like there's a lot of guidebooks out there nobody reads them like a book yeah. you know cover to cover so something that weaves your own story and experiences really enriches that reader's experience as well you know sitting at home wherever you may be I'm heading into winter so it'll be the perfect time to read a book about an exotic yeah. place filled with lots of warm islands um yeah, I've never, I've never really worked on on guidebooks particularly. So this is, it was kind of a, an extended travel article, and uh, so nice. Instead of you know being told by an editor that you need to cut down at, at a thousand words, right? And you often feel like you're taking the, you just got your teeth into it, and you're taking the most interesting material out, yeah, just so it'll fit into format in the magazine. So it was nice just to be able to basically write everything that I had ever wanted to say about Indonesia. I guess that's what's going into this. Yeah. Okay. And now I got to, I got to hope I don't keep learning more stuff. Otherwise I'll have to do coffee doodle too. <laughs> yeah. The sequel, like dessert or something, you know, coffee first. And then I think there's something there. Exactly. Yeah. And do you have yeah. other places around the world? I know you shared some of your passions before. So 
where do you like to go, you know, if you're not on a boat or if you're not based in Indonesia, what are some really amazing places that you think our listeners would like to hear about and, and possibly add to their own bucket list? Mm. I am. Um, yeah. I, That's I'm another still, big question. Uh, it's loaded. Quite a, <laughs> Exactly. I'm quite an itchy, itchy foot traveler. So when I am in Asia, I start to dream about Africa. I've, it's been quite a while since I've been in Latin America and that's been on my mind a lot now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I love being around wildlife and uh, Southeast Asia gives you plenty of that, but it's hard to match what you can see here in, in Africa, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do love getting back to Africa. And I suppose um, people often, the biggest question I, I get as a travel writer, I think is, you know, what's your, what's your favorite country? Well, I don't have a favorite country. Yeah. If I could only ever travel in one country for the rest of my life, I'd probably pick Indonesia for all of the reasons I gave you. Right. Um, but if I could only do one kind of trip, I'd say, okay, great. You know, give me a four wheel drive and, and a roof tent and camping kit and just point me in the direction of, <laughs> of a big, beautiful African park. Yeah, I, you know, I love uh, camping out, hearing lions at night, and um, you know, sitting around the fire and listening to the ho- to the hyenas. Yeah, um, yeah, just um, eastern southern Africa. I've been fortunate to. Uh, sometimes I've spent five, five, six weeks living out of a Land Rover or a Land Cruiser like that in uh, U- Uganda and Kenya and uh, Botswana a couple of times, Zimbabwe. Um, and I love the, the, those areas. Yeah. And, um, they will always draw me back. And it's funny. I hope actually, there'll be an Africa book one of these days. Yes. Well, I was going to plug your photographs from there because they're stunning, your wildlife photography. And you. Oh, thank you. If, well, and if you think about what you're, you like, right, we kind of tend to do that with all of our holidays. If you look back on whatever kind of traveler you are. But, you know, you, you love the remoteness of Indonesia and of these untouched islands and this and that. And then Africa gives you it, but a land-based experience, right? You can be in the middle of a bush mm. and there's no lights. There's nothing. The stars are incredible. No one's around for miles. It's very similar immersion in nature with yeah. no interruption. So it's it's kind of beautiful to have both sides of it, I suppose. Exactly. I think, um, yeah, kind of a similar feeling, I suppose. And traveling with a Land Rover like that. You you know going from camp to camp, it's almost like uh, almost like you're being on a boat. You you're self-contained. You have everything you need, and you almost like going from island to island. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um, similar kind of feeling. It's such huge open spaces. Yeah, you also. get the above the land-based animals. You know, Indonesia, you get the huge. <laughs> you'll be cruising along and just see you know the uh, different whales pop up and things like. That. It's incredible what's beneath exactly. you, but yeah, you kind of get best of both worlds so it's not a bad life to have if you can have it (laughs) to have both options on your doorstep yeah no no it's nice I'm very fortunate to be able to move uh, maybe I've just got a a, not very much of a concentration span and it's awesome to be able to move around a bit yeah well I would like to recommend Canada actually has a trail that goes from east to west. You can walk it, cycle it, and it's all like most of it's off road. So if you want to cover our huge landmass, <laughs> I would definitely yeah. read that book. That was a dream, you know, cycle across Canada or something. It's um in the summer. Yeah, in the that's summer. a challenge, right? Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely in the summer. <laughs> I'm uh, yeah, I I mostly try and stick to sunny places, I have to admit. But uh, 
I'm sure in the summer you have your fair share of weather. There's probably a good reason why I haven't lived in England for, I'm actually English, but I haven't lived in England for about 28 years. Yes. And that's one of the, one of the main reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I lived there for almost 10 years myself and it's, when it is sunny, there's nothing like the English countryside, right? Like the grass is really lush mm. and it's beautiful. Got the little pubs, you know, all the little history, but, uh, those days aren't as abundant as you would probably like between exactly. <laughs> the rainy yeah. damp days. So I don't blame you um, for, for well, sitting they're... in sunnier climes. Yeah. But I guess the pubs are still nice even when it rains, right? Mm. Oh yeah. That's, you got to go into them, right? You got to escape the rain. So exactly. <laughs> sit by the fire. Yeah, exactly. Well, this was so fun to chat, Mark. Let us know where to find you. I know on your website, I think all of your books are listed. So let us know where people can reach out to you. Yeah, the easiest actually is just through uh, www.markeveley.com. Um, that's that's the best. I'm on Instagram under the same name, under my name. Okay. But um, my website is the easiest place to find all the links, really. Okay, To so the books, there's some articles that I wrote on there as well. And uh, yeah, I should probably keep it more up to date, but um, that gives you a good idea anyway. You're busy writing other things now. <laughs> you're, you're on the go, so we'll allow it. But uh, your website's great. I'll Thank make sure you. to hyperlink it for everyone. And uh, I really enjoyed my chat with you today. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in, in South Africa before you head back to uh, Indonesia. Great. Thank you very much. It was very nice to talk. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to See the World Differently. Until next time, keep daydreaming.